Well, good evening, everybody. We're just about to start the uh, live stream for this evening, this evening's Bible study. Please uh, just confirm that you can hear my voice. I see RJ and Murray and Chris, Marion, Sisters with Love, RJ, and JD and Zilla. So uh, thanks for coming. Greetings. And just uh, looking for confirmation that the audio is coming through, and then we can start. Okay, great. I'm getting confirmation that the audio is coming through. So we're just about to begin the stream. Well, good evening, everybody, and welcome to Wednesday Night Bible Study. Uh, this evening, we are we're at Judges 6, where we started last week. Um, but this evening, we want to get through Judges 6, God willing, and go on to uh, Judges chapter 7 as well. At last week's broadcast, we have a, had a little bit of difficulty with the, the sync and the audio. Uh, so some of, some of it may have been missed. So when I start this evening, what I want to do is just go pick it back up at Judges 6, is one, 6 verse 1, just to get the context as we read through the rest of chapter 6. Let's open with a word of prayer and then get into uh, tonight's study. Our Heavenly Father, great God Almighty, we praise you, Lord God Almighty, for the wonderful privilege we have of studying your word. It's a, it's a world, Father, that you know it is spiraling out of control. And yet we have the anchor of your word, our relationship with Jesus Christ and with you. Uh, these things are, are solid and your promises and your word is solid. We just thank you so much, Father, that we have this understanding and we crave for more. And we pray, Father, that as we apply ourselves to digging out your word, that you would grant us deeper understanding and deeper faith. We praise you, Lord. We ask your blessing on our study. And bless those, Father, who are tuning in and those who will tune in later as well. Thank you, Father. We ask this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. So, as I mentioned, we are up now to 
uh, Judges chapter 6. And um, we want to now, let's continue. As I said, I'll, I'll begin uh, at verse 1, just to get the context, although we did uh, cover this uh, last week. But it says here, the children of Israel, again, this is like the fifth time in six chapters that God is telling us that these people did evil in his sight. Now, we know uh, from the end of the book that every man did what was right in his own eyes. So it's not that they think they're doing evil. Uh, as far as they're concerned, they're doing what's right. But as far as God is concerned, when he compares their behavior to his word, they are doing evil evil in his sight. And I keep emphasizing this because we in the church are his people today, and we're human just as they were human. Hopefully the Holy Spirit is, is guiding our behavior and, and, and driving our behavior, but still we're human. And we have this ability to rationalize what we do. Like, here's the clear word of God, but I've got a better idea. And so I think we should do my idea. Yeah, yeah, but here's the word of God. Yeah, but I've got a good idea. And so in our eyes, we're doing what's right. In the Lord's eyes, he is furious. And the church is in trouble. And, and when we read the prophecies from the Lord himself, many are in trouble. Few make it through the narrow gate. So let us not have this, this hubris and this arrogance. We've come out of the days of unleavened bread. Let's be humble. And let's just compare ourselves to the word of God so that we can be right in his eyes. So the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian seven years, seven long years. And this is after the, we just finished the celebration of, of Deborah uh, and Barak, and how you know God intervened and helped them, and yet they continued to do evil in front of him. So he delivered them into the hand of Midian seven years. And the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel. And because the, of the Midianites, the children of Israel made themselves that the dens or the caves which are in the mountains and caves and strongholds. So they were confined. And, and last week, you know, I, I gave examples of how, you know, today we are confined. And this is not unlike what Israel uh, faced anciently. In, in fact, uh, I don't know if you've seen this video, but let's just take a quick look at what's happening in Singapore. And let me just uh, set this up for a second. Give me one moment. So I think uh, <laughs> I think you get the idea there. Uh, not very good at all. Not very good at all. So that is a sense of the future. 
that here right now today in Singapore, we've got this robotic dog that is watching people and can tell whether or not they're um, six feet apart. And this same uh, Boston Dynamics robot, you have other videos of it showing that it can open doors. It, it, they're building all this artificial intelligence. Imagine if a thousand of these were in the park. Uh, what, what chance do human beings have to withstand this kind of monitoring and oppression? So we were saying last week when we looked at uh, judges that our situation today is not unlike that of Israel anciently. And it is the Lord that allowed the Midianites to do this. This is not something that, um, you know, the Midianites, of course, they were a very powerful nation, but they could have no power over Israel unless God allowed it. And so it was when Israel had sown that the Midianites came up and the Amalekites and the children of the east, even they came up against Israel and they encamped against Israel and destroyed the increase of the earth. So there's something in these people's minds that they are just wanton. They don't care. They just, they take for themselves and they destroy the earth and they, they just have a death mentality about them. And of course, these people today, their, their descendants today have the same mentality. And the communists today have the same mentality. Everybody who serves Satan has this mentality, this death cult mentality. They worship death and they don't honor life and they don't honor the fact that human beings are made in the image of God. And they encamped against them and destroyed the increase of the earth till you come up unto Gaza. So, you know, Israel is up in the north and, and the Midianites are coming from the north, but they're coming all the way down to the south, to Gaza. So this is a great strip of land that they are oppressing uh, all the tribes uh, of Israel. And they left no sustenance for Israel. This is brutal. They, they have an agenda to destroy through starvation. Neither sheep, nor ox, nor donkey. For they came up with their cattle and their tents, and they came up as grasshoppers for multitude. So again, they're just coming, and they're, they're ready to stay as long as it takes, and they don't need to rush back because everything's with them. For both they and their camels were without number, and they entered into the land to destroy it. That, that's their objective, to come in and destroy the land. And, and they, you know, they're going to make all these pronouncements of how righteous they are. God loves this land. This is the promised land. God cares for this land, and they're coming in to destroy the land. And God is watching. And Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites. So there's economic collapse. And yes, economic collapse can come from God. And today we have this uh, unseen, unknown, un, un, you know, this strange virus going all around the world. But what it's leading to is economic collapse. And economic collapse can be a curse from God as it was anciently. So Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites. And the children of Israel, you could say, finally cried unto the Lord. This is seven years this has been happening. And they're finally now turning to God and crying to God. And it came to pass... When the children of Israel finally cried unto the Lord because of the Midianites, how did God respond? That the Lord sent a prophet unto the children of Israel, which said unto them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you forth out of the house of bondage. And by the way, we had a great sermon from our deacon here in Burlington uh, on Sabbath. Uh, entitled, from, from Slavery to Freedom, Then What? 
So if you missed that uh, sermon, please check our archives, uh, both on YouTube and, and in the best way is on our app, CGI Digital Network. If you download the app from Kindle Store, Google Store, or the Apple Store, uh, just access that sermon where this is a man that he comes from communism. His family escaped communism. And so he has a, a perspective on where we're going and where we're heading and a perspective on Israel and wh where they came from that is quite fascinating and very helpful. But God wants to be known as the God who brought these people from a state of, of slavery and oppression and from being a, a nobody and being oppressed by the most powerful empire at the time, he brought them out from that and made them a nation. And he wants to be known as the God who brought them miraculously out of the oppression of Egypt. And, and they have come into the promised land and they have forgotten. I brought you up from Egypt and brought you forth out of the house of bondage. And I delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians. The Egyptians are these powerful people. And God is saying, I did that. Don't forget that. And out of the hand of all that oppressed you. And I drove them out from before you and gave you their land. These are from Egypt to all of the Canaanite nations and, and the Perizzites. As powerful as these nations were, God is reminding them, I'm the one who did this. You, you really have nothing to worry about. It's, you know, Their power notwithstanding, I am the God who made you. I'm the God who made the whole universe. And so I pushed these nations out of your way and gave you their land. And I said unto you, I am the Lord your God. Fear not the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. So they're crying out for mercy. They're crying out for help. And God is saying, <clears throat> excuse me, we had an agreement and you broke it. So please be mindful of this. So you have not obeyed my voice. And so there's a covenant agreement in place that says, if you obey me, these things will happen. If you disobey me, these things will happen. Oh, you disobeyed me. Now, there came an angel of the Lord and sat under an oak, which was in Ophrah. And as we continue to read this, it becomes apparent that this, we, we, the English says angel, the, the uh, Hebrew actually says messenger. So it's a, the messenger of the Lord. And as we read this, it becomes clear, this is God himself. This is a, a theophany uh, or a Christophany. This is an appearance of God on the earth. And so there came an angel of the Lord and sat under an oak, which was in Ophrah, that pertained unto Joash the Abizrite. So this oak is sort of significant in this part of the, the, the land, and it belongs to Joash the Abizrite. And his son Gideon threshed wheat by the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. So this was something that uh, we believe Samuel is the author of this text, but he wants to point out to us that Israel is under such oppression and the people have an agenda to starve Israel to death. And so here we see a man who is somewhat resourceful. Uh, rather than the normal way of um, separating the wheat from the chaff in order to, have, to make bread with the wheat, uh, he has figured out a way to do this in, in a wine press. So the wine press perhaps is uh, sub submerged underground somewhat, and he's able to hide from the Midianites. And this is a lot of work. So, so to do this through a wine press, this man is not afraid of working. And he's showing a level of creativity, although you could also argue there's a level of fearfulness, but 
you know, the Midianites are these powerful people who don't want Israel to eat. He's figured out a way to feed his family. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him and said unto him, first words out of the angel's mouth, the messenger. We should say the messenger rather than the angel. We'll just say the Lord. The Lord is with you. Wow. The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. So of all the Israelites that are in the land, God is looking at this man and he sees something in the man that he can work with. And I mentioned last week, this man is not the brightest bulb. <laughs> He's a, I call him a spiritual imbecile. And I, I'm going to double down on that. As we read the text, this, this is not a, a spiritually bright person. And we need to be careful. Yes, he finally grows in his faith to the point where he subdues Midian. And he receives honorable mention in, in Hebrews 11, the, the hall of faith or the hall of fame. So he receives honorable mention. But there's a circuitous route for him to get to this place where he has enough faith to do what God says. We, prior to that, this man's character is very questionable. And in fact, I'm going to argue next week that after this, his character is very questionable. But during the, the takedown, he has the faith and he receives honorable mention in Hebrews 11. First words out of the Lord's mouth. The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. So there's something about him that there's a seed of something that God can work with. And what we, what I really, my real argument here is stop looking for perfection. There are no perfect people. God works with flawed people. And you have some people who insist that, you know, unless the, the, the servant of God is absolutely perfect and in the image of Christ himself, it's impossible for God to use that person. Well, you know what? God can use Gentiles and God uses us and we're all flawed. And why does he do this? So that no flesh should glory. And so he picks this man. There's something in him. And, and I'll tell you, it's not faith. You know, this, this is no Abraham you know, where, where God speaks to Abraham and, and Abraham's like, okay, if God, if you're saying this, I'm taking it to the bank. I'm good. You gave me your word, I'm good. This is no Abraham. The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. And Gideon said unto him, right off the, here, here's, the here's the relationship between Gideon and God. God says, I'm with you. Gideon says, oh my Lord, if the Lord be with us, why then is all this befallen us? And this is a deep question. And this demonstrates what I mean by the fact that this is not the brightest spiritual bulb. I mean, he should know better. So God says, I'm with you. And he's like, oh yeah? Well, if you're with us, why are we in these, this situation? Why then is this befallen us? And where be all his miracles? Like I heard of miracles. Well, where are they then? Where be all his miracles, which our fathers told us of, saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? Right here. Gideon condemns himself. So it's not that he didn't know. The fathers did pass these stories down, and our pastor Murray gave a great sermon, and this was um, a couple of weeks back, and I believe this one was called A Call to Fast. And in this sermon, he expounded on the need, the critical need, of us to pass stories down to the next generation. 
and he quoted a, a Jew, Dennis Prager, who said, you know, a people that cease to tell their stories are a people that cease to exist. So they did pass on the stories and, and Gideon was aware that there were miracles that, that established the nation and God did perform miracles. So he did know, didn't the Lord bring us up from Egypt? And now his, here's his conclusion. And this is why I say this is not the brightest bulb. But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. Well, he got the second part right. Because right from the get-go, we see they did evil in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord delivered them into the hands of their enemies. But that's according to covenant. So the deliverance into the hands of the Midianite is a faithful act of God. That if we read the text... We can see that God is doing exactly what he covenanted to do. It is Israel that has forsaken the covenant. So God will never forsake Israel. He's made that abundantly clear. He says, I will never forsake you. And so this is where these folks who don't understand the Bible get into this replacement theology, and they want to believe that uh, God has forsaken Israel, and now he's taken up with the church. He's got a new lover, and he's thrown the old wife away. Uh, sorry. God is faithful. When he speaks, that's it. And he has spoken faithfulness to Israel forever. Forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. With no end, God will be faithful to Israel. So this man, not being the brightest bulb, comes to the conclusion that God has forsaken us. You know, we're perfect. We're doing everything right. God is the one that's at fault. He has forsaken us. Uh, excuse me. God is faithful. Never accuse God. Never, ever, ever accuse God of being unfaithful. That is the essence of who God is. He's faithful. Now, I say he's not the brightest bulb. Neither are we. So God is going to use this man who's pretty dull. He's spiritually dull. But look what uh, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians. For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. So Paul is just being blunt. We're pretty dumb. We're not the brightest bulbs. And yet God handpicks us and he calls us. And that's, the, that's where we start our journey. But he says, God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. This is how God operates. God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. That's why you and I, are in the church today, because God is going to perform this incredible miracle, this, this incredible worldwide eternal miracle with the weak of the world. Gideon is a member of the weaklings of the world. Israel is a weak nation compared to these other nations. And yet God has chosen to do his work through weakness so that no flesh should glory that everybody comes to the conclusion that, you know what? This is not through the strength or the wisdom or the nobility of man. It is, in fact, through the goodness of God. So don't be offended if I say, I'm not impressed with Gideon. I'm really not. But I'm not impressed with you, and I'm not impressed with me either. You know who I'm impressed with? Jesus Christ. Wow. Jesus Christ is very impressive. I'm, I'm overwhelmed in my awe of Jesus, 
but don't put a man in front of me and expect me to be impressed. I know what I know what is in man because I know what's in me. And Jesus made it clear. You know, cursed is the man that trusts in man. But does that mean that God doesn't use men? The, the, the criticism that I hear leveled against people, it's obvious that God is using these people, but they're flawed. And so the, the focus is on the flaw. How about if we focus on your flaws? How about if we focus on my flaws? No, let's, let's focus on the glory and the kindness of Jesus. And so what we're seeing here in the operation through this very flawed man, Gideon, is when we see the bigger picture, what we're seeing in the operation through this very flawed man is the love, the deep love, the, the committed love, the covenant love that God has for Israel. God has so much love for Israel that he puts up with Gideon and he works through Gideon. So as we, as we read this account with, with Gideon and we're kind of scratching our heads and saying, what's going on here? What's going on here is God's love for Israel. And so when we see God use flawed human beings, what we should see is God's love for Israel. Judges 6 and verse 14. And the Lord looked upon him. So <laughs> instead of God being offended to say, like, what are you saying? Are you calling me unfaithful? God lets that pass him. And he says, and he said, go in this your might. So, so there's something that Gideon has. There's some sort of ingenuity, something there that God sees. And he says, this is, I'm going to use this, this attribute that you have. I'm going to enhance it and I'm going to use it. Go in this your might or your talent, your abilities, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have not I sent you? God is, look, I'm the one who's sending you. Now, how does Gideon respond? And he said unto him, O oh my Lord, with what shall I save Israel? So God is making it clear, look, I'm, I'm going to save Israel through you, and I'm the one who's sending you. And Gideon's response is, well, how's that going to work then? Wherewith shall I save Israel? Behold, my family is poor in Manasseh. So he heard of all these miracles. He's, not, he's, he's made it clear. I've heard the miracles. Well, where are the miracles then? Well, God is saying, you know what? I'm going to do, I'm, I'm here now. Yeah, but you know what? My, my family is poor. That would take a miracle because my family's poor in Manasseh and I'm the youngest in my father's house. And the Lord said unto him, surely, listen to God's words to him. Surely I will be with you. Wow. If these words were spoken to Abraham, we would, not be do, we would not be having all of this back and forth. God says to Gideon, surely, this is God speaking, surely I will be with you. And you shall smite the Midianites as one man. You're going to take them down all at once. And he said unto him, so God is speaking to him, I'm going to do this through you. If now I have found grace in your sight, then show me a sign that you talk with me. So, you know, there was a question last week, is it wrong to ask God for a sign? Well, I'm telling you categorically, this is wrong. You don't want to follow Gideon's example here. This is an example of unfaithfulness. This is an example of looking God in the eye and saying, I don't trust you. You need to give me something more than your word. Okay, yeah, I heard your word. Not good enough. Give me something more. 
We should never, ever, ever do this. Let's look, look, look what Jesus says in Matthew 12, verse 38. Then certain of the scribes and the Pharisees answered, saying, Master, we would like to see a sign from you. But he answered and said unto them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and there shall no sign be given to it but the sign of the prophet Jonah. This is repeated again in the same account by Matthew. Twice. I, I think it's pretty important and we should not ignore it. Matthew 16 and verse 1. The Pharisees also with the Sadducees came and tempting desired him that he would show them a sign from heaven. And he answered and said unto them, When it is evening, you say, it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be foul weather today, for the sky is red and lowering. Oh, you hypocrites. And we heard to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Oh, you hypocrites, you can discern the face of the sky, but you cannot discern the signs of the times that God has spoken his will. And he said, this is how it's going to unfold. And there are just the time, we should see the signs of the times. We should discern them and understand the Lord's will. And we should not be saying, I, I, I don't really believe God's will. I need a sign. A wicked and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and there shall no sign be given to it, but the sign of the prophet Jonah. And he left them and departed. So let us, be, let us not contradict the Lord's words. And Matthew gives us twice the account of Jesus saying, look, it's only a wicked and adulterous generation that seeks after a sign. And Gideon comes out of a wicked and adulterous generation where this is like God is looking for who can I use? And like, this is the best of the lot. And God gives him his word and he's like, yeah, you got to give me something a bit more than your word. So this is very different than being in the Lord's will. So I, you know, uh, being in the Lord's will, I, I give a, I'll be giving a sermon this Sabbath. And I'm, I'm, you know, the way I write my sermons, I like to speak under inspiration. So I'm, I'm looking for validation that this is what God wants me to speak about. And then when uh, Deacon Jan gave his sermon on Sabbath, he, he said something that I'm like, that's the validation. And so it's not that I'm looking for a sign to say, can I believe God's word? I trust God's word. Now, within his word, I'm, there are things, decisions that I can make. And I'm seeking God's direction. And so I'm looking for validation within his will. But if you know God's will, don't be looking for a sign. You know he wants you to repent. You know, somebody is uh, in an adulterous relationship. Oh, I'm looking for a sign to see if I should uh, be faithful. Stop your nonsense. You know God's will. You know, I I'm looking for a sign if I should be baptized. You understand the word of God? You're being called to repentance. What are you looking for? This is the Lord's will. So within the Lord's will, to look for validation, I, I can go A or B, but both are within the Lord's will. And I'm seeking God, you know, what would you prefer? Is there a door that you're opening for me? That's so totally different. Then God is telling you, this is my will. And you're saying, hmm, not good enough. Can you give me a sign? That's the wickedness of, of the generation of Gideon. So, you know, let's be careful as well. Again, he says, you know, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. 
So here, in, in speaking of these Pharisees who are looking for a sign, he says to his disciples, and, and beware of these people, all their works they do for to be seen of men. They make broad their phylacteries and enlarge the borders of their garments. And they love the uppermost rooms at feasts and the chief seats in the synagogues. So if they were here today in our world, it would be like they love in, in the digital media to always be superior. They always put themselves in the superior position, even over the ministry. They're always correcting others. They never have a question. They only have statements and pronouncements because they're, they're fronting. They're, they're pushing a persona. They don't have relationships with anybody. They can't be humble and open with anybody. They're just pushing a persona. And that's what I'm going to be speaking about this Sabbath, the danger of pushing a persona and what that leads to, the leaven of pushing a persona. So these Pharisees today, if they were on digital media, they've always got to be the all-knowing one, the all-knowledgeable one. And they love the uppermost rooms at feasts and the chief seats. They want to be looked up to as the teachers in the synagogues and greetings in the markets and to be called of men, rabbi, rabbi. So they just cannot uh, see their way to just being humble, just being one of the brethren and building true relationships with the brethren and sacrificing themselves for the brethren. It's not so much their teachings, it's their example that you can see from their example. They sacrifice themselves for the brethren. Then, okay, well, the teaching now is coming from a good place. But if they never put a finger of effort forward, to help the brethren, but they're full of teaching, then we've got to be careful. John, uh, here in John 10, Christ says, I'm the good shepherd. And what does the good shepherd do? The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. You know, these, these uh, uh, Pharisees and the scribes, they're not sacrificing anything for the sheep. They just want to be looked up to. They're just full of pronouncements and teachings. But Christ says the good shepherd, actually, it's not just, it's the example. The good shepherd sacrifices his life, builds bonds with the sheep, and is willing to sacrifice himself for the sheep. So let us be careful about looking for a sign. So now he says, this is um, Gideon, depart not hence, I pray you. So don't leave until I come unto you and bring forth my present and set it before you. And he said, I'll, I'll wait until you come again. And Gideon went in and made ready a kid and unleavened cakes of an ephah of flour. So this is quite a bit of flour. And he's taking, and this is in a time of famine and starvation. And so this, I, I respect this. This is a very good uh, work from Gideon that he's willing. And, you know, this Pentecost is our opportunity to, to bring an offering to the Lord. And, and offerings are a form of worship. So here, uh, where Gideon is demonstrating a worshipful heart. So he's, he's not holding back he, a full ephah of flour to make these unleavened cakes and a, and a goat. The flesh he put in a basket, and he put the broth in a pot and brought it out unto him under the oak and presented it. So he, his heart is in the right place to bring this offering to God. And the angel or the messenger of God said unto him, take the flesh and the unleavened cakes, and lay them upon this rock, 
and pour out the broth. So what God didn't say is, oh, no, 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 you know, it's it's a time of starvation. It's pretty difficult. You know, you keep what you have. It's I, I don't need. He, God accepts the worship. Yeah, I am God. And this is right for you to worship me in this way. So I will come and I will accept your offering. And so he tells him what to do, how to present the offering, and he did so. Then the messenger of the Lord put forth the end of the staff that was in his hand and touched the flesh and the unleavened cakes. And there rose up fire out of the rock and consumed the flesh and the unleavened bread. Then the messenger of the Lord departed out of his sight. So that this is quite an interaction that, that he's selected this, this man of all the, the, the Israelites. He has chosen this man and he appears to him and there's this interaction that they have and the right out of the gate we see Gideon is a man of doubt and he's a man of lack of faith and fearfulness. But there's also something in him where we see this offering and the offering was accepted. Not like Cain who brought an offering, but that, that, that offering was rejected. And Gideon, and when Gideon perceived that it was the messenger of the Lord, Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God. This, this is like, he now realizes what has happened. He says, because this, this angel came and then departed out of his sight. And it doesn't say how, maybe he just vanished. And he says, uh, when he perceived that it was the angel of the Lord, he said, Alas, O Lord God, for because... I have seen the messenger of the Lord or a messenger of the Lord face to face. So this is something now. He's acknowledging, okay, something supernatural just happened here. And I've been face to face with the messenger of the Lord. And the Lord said unto him, peace be unto you. Fear not, you shall not die. And whenever the Lord or the angels of the Lord appear to men, they're always comforting. So we have this whole um, legend of uh, Gabriel apparently appearing to Muhammad. We've got, what, some close to 2 billion people who are following this teaching. And the root of the teaching is that this being, this angel, appeared to Muhammad and tried to kill him, tried to strangle him. And after that encounter... Muhammad was so terrified, he tried to kill himself. And all of this darkness, we're to believe, comes from God. And that the instructions from Gabriel are for the Arabs to completely destroy every Israelite. Every Jew, every Christian, every Israelite, completely destroy them until there's not one left on the face of the earth. This is coming from the angel of the Lord, who is faithful to his covenant. No, whenever angels appear, they're so powerful. And God himself is so powerful that they appear always in mercy and grace. So he says, peace be unto you. Fear not, you shall not die. Then Gideon built an altar there unto the Lord, again, demonstrating a level of worship, and called it Jehovah Shalom. So he's in, he should have died, but the peace of God was granted to him. So he calls it Jehovah Shalom. Unto this day, it is yet in Ophrah of the Abizrites. So whatever this uh, altar was that he built at the time of this writing, it was still there. And it came to pass the same night that the Lord said unto him, listen to this carefully. This is why I say this is not the brightest bulb. The Lord said unto him, take your father's young bullock, even the second bullock of seven years. And so that's interesting because um, 
This bullock would have been born at the time that Midian began to oppress Israel, at the time that God delivered Israel into the hands of the Midianites. And so for all this time that Israel's been under oppression, this bullock has been growing. It's now seven years old. So take that young bullock and throw down, what should he throw down? The altar of Baal. Okay. Is this the altar of Baal that, you know, we're going to sneak into the Midian camp and, and tear down this altar? Uh, let's read the text together. God says to him, throw down the altar of Baal that your father has. Oh, you've been worshiping Baal and you're wondering why God isn't with you. <laughs> throw down the altar of Baal that your father has and cut down the grove that is by it and instead replace it. Instead, build an altar unto the Lord your God upon the top of this rock. So you're to basically vanquish Baal worship and replace it with the worship of Jehovah. Build an altar unto the Lord your God upon the top of this rock in the ordered place and take the second bullock and offer a burnt sacrifice with the wood of the grove, which you shall cut down. So this is like a complete vanquishing of Baal worship. Then Gideon, what does Gideon do? So this is, he's had this encounter with God. He realizes, I've, I've seen God face to face. And uh, if you do this, you're going to die. God gives him peace. No, you're not going to die. So he calls the name of this place, Jehovah Shalom, the peace of God. So he comes out of this now with the instruction, tear down this uh, altar and replace it with true worship. Okay, let's get to business. Then Gideon took 10 men of his servants. So although they're poor, uh, you know, it's like there's been an economic collapse. They're obviously people of significance, and he has 10 servants. So he took 10 men of his servants and did as the Lord had said unto him. Okay, that sounds good. So that's what you should do. When God tells you to do something, do it. And so he did as the Lord had said to him. And so it was, listen to this, Gideon's got some problems. And let's not skirt around the problems. Let's, let's just read this. The Bible doesn't hold anything back. And so it was, because he feared his father's household that the men, and the men of the city, that he could not do it by day, that he did it by night. <laughs> You've just been face to face with God himself. God has told you, I'm going to be with you. This powerful nation of the Midianites, through you, you're going to bring them down all at once, as if you take down one man. And after all of this, he's still afraid. And so he fears his father's household, who has been worshiping Baal. These are Israelites. These are Manassites, worshiping Baal. And not just the household, but obviously the household is, uh, these are people of significance. He's got servants, and he's, got, he's by the oak tree. That's like a prime piece of real estate. So these are obviously people of significance, even though they're poor, but they obviously they've got a bullock, they've got two bullocks, they, they've got things. And there are men of the household, and he's afraid of them. And then the men of the city seem to be influenced by this household. This seems to be a leading influential household. And as they go, so the city goes. And so to tear down the Baal worship, oh boy, he, he realizes that's going to cause trouble. I wouldn't, I, you know, I don't mind being in trouble with God, but I'm not going to be in trouble with men. 
This is Gideon. And when the men of the city arose early in the morning, behold, the altar of Baal was cast down. So they're getting up early in the morning. Their priority, Baal worship. Okay, it's early, Baal worship. So it's not like the sort of middle of the day and it's like, hey, did you know, Did you? hey, it's the middle of the day, I just noticed. The altar is torn down. No, first thing in the morning, off to Baal worship. What's happened to the, to the, to the, to the altar? So behold, early in the morning, the, Baal, the altar of Baal was cast down and the grove was cut down that was by it. And the second bullock was offered upon the altar that was built. So now this is the altar to Jehovah. <laughs> this is so hard to digest. But this is what happens to God's people. That just this gradual drifting away from the standard. And that's why, you know, it's, it's difficult when, you know, people of God are fighting to maintain the standard and other people of God are saying, no, relax, relax, relax. Well, okay, we'll relax, but where is it going? So we relax a little bit here, we relax a little bit there. And in a decade, in two decades, in four decades, we're unrecognizable. You know, our children, uh, again, to pass quote Pastor Murray about teaching the children so that they can teach their children and this, the people remain alive. But no, now, they're, now we're worshiping Baal. And it's a priority. And now when we bring in the worship of Jehovah, they don't like this at all. How dare you worship Jehovah? How dare you replace the worship? of These are Israelites. This, this is the state of affairs. It can happen to them. It can happen to us. He says that <laughs> they see now that the, the, the altar is cast down, the grove that's by it is cast down, the bullock has been offered upon the altar that's devoted to Jehovah. And they said one to another, how do they respond now that true worship has been established? And they said one to another, who has done this thing? It's, as, it's like you, could, you can almost see the, the veins bursting in their necks and just, their eyes with fire, like who has done this thing? And when they inquired, and you, and you could say diligently inquired, like this is who, who did this? So when they had inquired and asked, they found the answer. They said, Gideon, the son of Joash, has done this thing. So this is the thing that Joash, that uh, Gideon feared. He was hoping to do it in the night, and then people wake up, and it's just this thing that's done, and they won't know who did it. But, you know, you have 10 servants with you, and word gets out. So they find out it's Gideon. Then the men of the city said unto Joash, bring out your son. And you can kind of picture that, um, you know, in Lot's day. Bring out the men who are visiting you, and they're just full of lust. Well, this is bloodlust. They're going to kill this man now. How dare him? These are Israelites. How dare him tear down the altar of Baal? Then the men of the city said unto Joash, bring out your son, that he may die. Why? Because he has cast down the altar of Baal. And because he has cut down the grove that was by, that is just such an awful thing to do. You know, idolatry, that's fine. Adultery, that's fine. Murder, that's fine too. Here they're ready to commit murder. But to go against Baal, that is the worst of sins. And you see the same thing in the church where people react, Christians will react inappropriately to things that, hey, this is coming out of the word of God. But then to other things, Oh, it's like, oh, yeah, that's all right. 
So our priorities, unless we're informed by the word of God, our priorities get skewed. And so they're now furious and they, they want to kill Joash's son. Now, did Joash interact with God? No, Gideon did. Why wouldn't Gideon come out and say, look, I did this. It's like, uh, you know, Bob Marley. Uh, hey, I shot the sheriff. I, I didn't kill the deputy. You're, you're hunting? I, I didn't kill the deputy. I shot the sheriff. You know, take, bring, you want to bring me in guilty? I, I shot the sheriff. It is what it is. That, that's how this man should be. It's like, hey, I tore down that altar. I didn't do that other thing you're accusing me of, but I did this and God is with me. No, Gideon is a very fearful man. So it's his father that stands up to this crowd. And Joash said, unto all that stood against him, they're all there, they're like animals. And Joash has the courage to stand against them. Gideon is nowhere to be seen. He's probably, maybe if you, if you were to, where's, where's Gideon? Oh, he's between his father's legs. He's shivering under his father's legs. This man who met God face to face. He's shivering under his father's legs. And Joash said unto all that stood against him, I don't get it. Will you plead for Baal? You Israelites? Is that what you've come to? At least Joash, he saw this. You know, it's, it's, it's in his home. It's, it's in his household. But now he sees clearly. And he's not going to let them kill his son. Will you plead for Baal? Will you save him? He that will plead for him, let him be put to death while it is yet morning. These words should be coming out of Gideon's mouth, who was instructed directly by God. But his father sees it. You want to plead for Baal? For Baal? While it's still morning, it's early in the morning. Well, while it's been morning, let him be put to death. If he be a god, let him plead for himself. This is wisdom. Because one has cast down his altar. This is brilliant. So if he's a true god and somebody does the offensive thing of tearing down his altar so he cannot be properly worshipped, if he's a true god, let him plead for himself. Therefore, on that day, Joash called his son Gideon, Jerubbaal, Jerubbaal, saying, let Baal plead against him because he has thrown down his altar. So I think he's proud of his son. It's like, wow, this is brilliant. If he's a god, let him plead for himself. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to name you Jerubbaal, meaning let Baal defend himself. Then all the Midianites, so now we shift gears here. The, the action continues. Then all the Midianites and the Amalekites and the children of the east were gathered together. So this is a massive troop. This is serious now. And, you know, before they were going all the way down to Gaza. So they're just, this, this is a massive army. And it's not just Midianites, but it's the Amalekites and it's the, it's the Ishmaelites as well. So this is serious. These are powerful nations and they're all, they all have one mind to destroy Israel. Then all the Midianites, Midianites and the Amalekites and the children of the east were gathered together and went over and pitched in the valley of Jezreel. So this is quite up north now. So Gaza is in the south. Jezreel is up in the north. And so they're ready now. They're coming from the north. They're ready to come down and just slaughter. But the spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. This flawed human being is the one that God has selected. And the Spirit of the Lord now comes upon him. 
So now there's this supernatural intervention in his life. And he blew a trumpet and Abizer was gathered after him. So that's his clan. And he sent messengers throughout all Manasseh. So that's his tribe. He sent messengers throughout all Manasseh who also was gathered after him. And he sent messengers unto Asher and to, unto Zebulun and unto Naphtali. So remember in uh, last chapter 5, in the Song of Deborah, Zebulun and Naphtali were praised by Deborah. Asher, not so much. She actually called him out, that tribe. She called them out that they didn't come when it was time to battle. But here, uh, maybe they learned their lesson. When Gideon calls, these tribes now came up to meet, they came, they come up to meet him. And Gideon said unto God, Oh no. Mm. I'm telling you, <laughs> this is a disaster. There's a problem here. Like, are you seeing it? Are you seeing it? There's a real problem here. Gideon said unto God, if Abraham would not behave this way. If you will save Israel by my hand, oh, I just I kind, of, kind of shudder when it's time to read this. It's, it's hard for me to read it. It's like, am I really seeing this? Are you talking to God? If you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said, because who can trust your word? Okay, I know you said it but I don't know if it's true. <sighs> wow. Not the sharpest knife in the drawer. Not the brightest bulb in the room. A little bit dill, a little bit uh, dumb, a little bit uh, dim. Gideon said unto God, if you will save me, if you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said, I, I need a sign here. Your, your word is not good enough. If you will do this, as you have said, behold, I, I'll dictate here how this is going to go down. So if you're going to do this, as you've said, let me tell you how this is going to work, God. I will put a fleece of wool in the floor. And if the dew be on the fleece only, and it be dry upon the earth beside, then shall I know that you will save Israel by my hand. As you have said, what? Your word, as far as I'm concerned, your word ain't good enough. I don't trust your word. Give me something more. So let's do this. I'm going to tell you how this is going to go, God. I'm going to tell you the sign that you will give me. I'm going to put this fleece down. And, in, and when I wake in the morning, I want to see it wet, but I want to see the ground dry. Then I'll know that I can take your word seriously. And it was so. For he rose up early on the morrow and thrust the fleece together and wringed the dew out of the fleece, a bowl full of water. Okay. God is like, again, what we should see here is the depth of God's love for Israel. He's chosen this man. There's something in this man that he can work with. His objective is to save Israel. So God is putting up with all of this because he's, his objective is to save Israel. So don't look for perfect people. Look for God's love. And it was so 
For he rose up early on the morrow, and thrust the fleece together, and wringed the dew out of the fleece, a bowl full of water. Well, that should do it, okay? You don't trust God. You asked him for a sign. He gave you a sign. Let's get on to business. Israel's uh, welfare is at stake. Their survival, this is an existential threat. Midian is, and the Amalekites and the children of the, they're ready. This is an existential threat. Let's go. No, we're not quite, we're not quite there yet. And Gideon said unto God, let not your anger be hot against me. So he's getting a sense that he is pushing this. And I will speak but this once. Let me prove, I beg you, but this once with the fleece. Let it now be dry only upon the fleece. And upon all the ground, let there be dew. Like that will really do it for me now. Because, you know, uh, I wasn't quite there yet. I, I, I know I said I wanted the fleece to be wet and the ground dry. But you know what? That's not such a big miracle after all. I think it would be a bigger miracle if the ground was wet, but then the fleece was dry. So do that, God. Just do a little bit more gymnastics, and then I might trust you. And God did so that night, for it was dry upon the fleece only, and there was dew on all the ground. Then Jerubal, which is Gideon, and all the people that were with him rose up early and pitched beside the will of Herod. So that finally got it through his head, like, okay, this, this really is happening. So that the host of the Midianites, or the armies of the Midianites, were on the north side of them by the hill of Morah in the valley. So again, they're up in the northern part of, uh, of Israel. And the Lord said unto Gideon, ready to come down, marching south. And the Lord said unto Gideon, the people that are with you are too many. So he sent this call out uh, within Manasseh, Asher, Zebulun, uh, and they all and Naphtali. And so they all came. And they're ready now. This, this is, this is a, they're going to get wiped out. And then what's God saying to Gideon? The people that are with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands. Now, why did God say it's too many? Listen to this. Lest Israel vaunt themselves against me, saying, my own hand has saved me. So God is trying to drive something here. For seven years, they've been under oppression. He's trying to drive them to a finish line to get them to acknowledge their unfaithfulness and his faithfulness. He, he has mercy now. He wants to save them, but he knows their character. If this many, uh, 32,000 uh, Israelites, uh, even though they're outnumbered, but if this many of them go and fight against the Midianites, uh, they'll give themselves the credit. God is very careful in, in what, and it's not that God has an ego, and God's like, oh, I, I want to be the greatest. I, I need to be the smartest one in the room. That's not the point. The point is he needs Israel to acknowledge who he is. And so it's very important to him that they realize this is a miracle. This We could never have done this ourselves. And that's why he works with the weak and the base and the foolish, so that we don't think like we did this. We, we look at the results and we're like, wow. God did this. And in fact, when others look at the results, they're like, what, God did this through you? You're useless. Yeah, I know. But God did it. So God is concerned with Israel's character that they'll be puffed up. They'll be full of leaven. And they'll bond themselves against him saying, my own hand has saved me. And then that will interrupt the process. God is faithful to Israel. He's going to see it through. But that will interrupt the process. Now, therefore, go to 
Proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, Whosoever is fearful and afraid, let him ret return and depart early from Mount Gilead. And you can see, I could just hear Gideon now. Does that include me? Can I go too? Like this is a, you know, they get a pass. If you're fearful, you can go. Like Gideon is fearful. I'm sure he would have loved to. He's watching these uh, uh, 22,000, I think it is. Well, we'll see. Yeah, 22,000. He's watching these 22,000 Israelites leave. They don't have to go to the battle. He's like, I want to be with them. Let, them re let him return and depart early from Mount Gilead. And there returned of the people 22,000. And there remained 10,000. So God is saying, I don't need numbers. And this is very powerful because that was the promise. Go into the land and I will go before you and I will take down your enemies. They just had to be faithful. So this miracle that we're witnessing through Gideon, this was the will of God from the beginning. He just said, I won't, I won't wipe them all out immediately because there's going to be wild beasts and the wild beasts could overtake you. So we'll do it sequentially. We'll do it methodically. But you got to be faithful to me. They weren't faithful. They, they coexisted with the, with the people and then were corrupted by the people. So there remained 10,000. And the Lord said unto Gideon, the people are yet too many. Bring them down unto the water and I will try them for you there. And it shall be that of whom I say unto you, this shall go with you, the same shall go with you. And of whomsoever I say unto you, this shall not go with you, the same shall not go. So there's 10,000 left now. God doesn't want them all. And, and, and again, you know, it's like the church. A lot of people in the church, God doesn't need all of us. We need God. But sometimes we behave like God needs us. No, God doesn't need us. He can do this with very few. We need him. So he says, whoever I say shall not go with you, the same shall not go. So he brought down the people unto the water. And the Lord said unto Gideon, everyone that laps of the water with his tongue as a dog. I'm looking for the dogs. Everyone that laps of the water with his tongue as a dog laps, him shall you set by himself. Likewise, everyone that bows down upon his knees to drink. So you also says so this, this is how you'll divide the, the camp, the armies or the, the soldiers. Uh, those that bow down, get down on their knees to get the water. They're going to go on one side. And those that put their face in the water and lap it up like a dog and take their eye off the ball. They're, they're like, they're not good soldiers. They're not aware of their surroundings. They're just lapping up the water like a dog. They just care about filling their belly and they're not alert. Those are the ones that I'll work with because I don't want any glory upon Israel. I want the glory to be to God. So he says, and the number of them that lapped, putting their hand to their mouth, so they're still able to, so to, they were 300 men. So they're looking, they're able to get the water, but it's a very undignified way of behaving. But all the rest of the people bowed down upon their knees to drink water. So 300. And the Lord said unto Gideon, by the 300 dogs, by the 300 men that lapped, will I save you. And I will do this. This is my will. I'm going to do this. And deliver the Midianites into your hand. And let all the other people go every man unto his place. 
So the people took victuals or food in their hand and their trumpets, and he sent all the rest of Israel, every man, unto his tent. And retained those 300 men, and the host of Midian was beneath him in the valley. So the whole army's there of the Midianites. And it came to pass the same night that the Lord said unto him, Arise, get you down unto the host, for I have delivered them into your hand. This is it now. That whole army is there. Let's go. Now God knows the heart of Gideon. So what does he say? But, this is it now. Let's go. Let's roll. This is the moment. But, I realize what I'm working with here. If you are afraid, Gideon has a problem. If you fear to go down, God has given him his word. But this man has a problem. But if you fear to go down, go you with Fura, your servant, down to the host. So you, you don't want to go down and attack as I'm telling you to? Okay. I'm going to save Israel one way or another through you. So if you still need reassurance, like this is getting ridiculous. So I know you're so weak and you're so fearful. So let's do this. Sneak down with your servant. So go down with Fura, your servant, down to the army. And you shall hear what they say. And afterward shall your hands be strengthened to go down unto the host. So God knows he's dealing with weakness here, but he's committed to saving Israel. So this is how he's going to do it now. So he's done it. He's done this, the fleece, the everything. Like, there's no excuse now. So he went down with Fura, his servant. Unto the, so, so he went down because he was afraid. So God says, you know, if you're afraid, he didn't say, no, no, Lord, I'm good. You gave me your word. God says, you know, if you're afraid, yeah, I'm afraid. I wish when you sent the, the 22,000 away, I, I wish I could have been with them. So he went down because he was afraid with Fura, his servant, unto the outside of the armed men that were in the host. <clears throat> and the Midianites and the Amalekites and all the children of the east lay along in the valley like grasshoppers for multitude. So there's, this is a massive army. And their camels were without number. And so that is, you know, to have a camel in this part of the, the, the geography, you know, they can go so long without water and they can gallop. And, you know, you see these Arabs with their swords on these camels. This is quite a powerful military. And uh, so they were like grasshoppers for multitude and their camels were without number as the sand by the seaside for multitude, they have come to slaughter Israel. And God is having mercy on Israel, and he's being patient with Gideon because he's going to save Israel one way or the other. And when Gideon was come, behold, there was a man, this is a, a Midianite, or it could be, I think it's a Midianite, but it could be an Amalekite or one of the Ishmaelites or one of the people of the East. So it's of the host. And when Gideon was come, behold, there was a man that told a dream unto his fellow and said, Behold, I dreamed a dream, and lo, a cake of barley bread. This is like the, the, the lowest value uh, grain. A cake of low value of barley bread tumbled into the host of Midian and came unto a tent and struck the tent that it fell and overturned it, that the tent lay on its side. And his fellow answered and said, so Gideon's overhearing this. This is nothing else except the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash. So Gideon doesn't even have a sword. They're saying, this is it, the sword of Gideon. 
a man of Israel. For into his hand has God delivered Midian and all the hosts. So this is quite miraculous. God has given this uh, fellow Midianite the interpretation of the dream of his friend. And he's saying, this is Gideon. Gideon is the lowest value barley, and he's going to do this. And it was so, when Gideon heard the telling of the dream and the interpretation thereof, that he worshipped. So I, I think God has finally gotten through to him now, and returned into the host of Israel, and said, Arise, for the Lord has delivered into your hand the host of Midian. So this massive army, these powerful people, and always throughout so far, throughout Judges, we're in the seventh chapter, we're constantly seeing these unlikely heroes and with unlikely weapons against powerful foes, but God is with them and they bring down their enemies. And he divided the 300 men into three companies and he put a trumpet into every man's hand with empty pitchers. Or, or jugs, and lamps within the pictures. And he said unto them, look on me, and do likewise. He's giving them some sort of a demonstration. And behold, when I come to the outside of the camp, it shall be that as I do, you'll do also. So three camps of a hundred men each. He's to take your trumpet, take a jar, and take a lamp, and do what I do. When I blow with a trumpet... I and all that are with me, then blow you the trumpets also on every side of all the camps. So they've got the camps surrounded, and their weapon is this trumpet. Uh, so they're to blow the trumpet on every side of all the camp and say, what should they say? Notice his instruction. Say, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. Hmm. I'm not feeling too good about this. This would be like me saying, you know, um, when we go into the land, we're going to proclaim the gospel. And when we proclaim the gospel, God has guaranteed us we're going to be victorious. So as we go into the land, say, the sword of Jesus and of Adrian, like couple me in there as well. This is, uh, this is not good. And it's going to lead to a legacy that's not good. So say, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. And here, remember... Right up, we just read it, but go back to, to verse 2 here. The Lord said to Gideon, The people that are with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands, lest Israel vaunt themselves against me, saying, My own hand has saved me. And now we're saying, The sword of the Lord and of Gideon. And what's going to happen now is the Israelites are not going to give God the credit. They're going to give Gideon the credit. I, I think this is a big mistake. He should have just said, The sword of the Lord. And these are the Israelites, and this is all God. It's got nothing to do with me. In fact, it's, it's despite me. If it, if, it, if it was up to me, you guys would be in big trouble. But it's because of God. And we're going to see in his legacy now, this becomes a snare for Israel. So Gideon and the hundred men that were with him came unto the outside of the camp in the beginning of the middle watch. And they had but newly set the watch, and they blew the trumpets and broke the jars that were in their hands. So you can imagine the clamor, the loud, the trumpet is going, and then all of this sound, maybe it sounds like galloping or something. And the three companies blew the trumpets and broke the pitchers and held the lamps in their left hands and the trumpets in their right hands to blow with all. And they cried, the sword of the Lord, oh, and don't forget, and of Gideon. 
And they stood every man in his place round about the camp. And all the host ran and cried and fled. They were terrified. It's in the middle of the night. All of a sudden, they hear these trumpet blasts. They hear this crashing sound. They, they, you know, they see these lights, like the, the armies are approaching. And the 300 blew the trumpets. And the Lord set every, the Lord set every Midianite's man, every Midianite man's sword against his fellow. So they've gone crazy with fear. It's in the middle of the night. They're taking their swords and they're killing each other. Israel can't do this. Israel cannot overcome these people. And there's only 300 men. They're killing each other. It set every man's sword against his fellow, even throughout all the army. And the host fled to Beth Sheeta in Zerarath. So they're retreating, they're going further north, and to the border of Abel-Meholah, unto Tabath. And the men of Israel gathered themselves together out of Naphtali, and out of Asher, and out of all Manasseh, and pursued after the Midianites. So we had the 300 men who, who started this. As, is, as the Midianites begin to retreat, then the rest of these tribes now join in to pursue the Midianites. And Gideon sent messengers throughout all Mount Ephraim. So, so now he's, so that's, these are all Manasseh. Now he's calling the Ephraimites in addition to, so we've got Asher, we've got Naphtali, uh, we've got uh, Manasseh. Now he's sending, these are all the tribes in the north. Now he's sending for Ephraim. And Ephraim is the big tribe. And Gideon sent messengers throughout all Mount Ephraim saying, come down against the Midianites and take before them the waters under Bethbara and Jordan. Then all the men of Ephraim gathered themselves together and took the waters unto Bethbara and Jordan. And they took two princes of the Midianites. So this is quite a capture now. They took two princes of the Midianites, Oreb and Zeb. And they slew Oreb upon the rock Oreb. And Zeb, they slew up at the winepress of Zeb. So these are very powerful men. They've got these places named after them. They are princes in Midian, and Ephraim captures them and slaughters them in place and pursued Midian and brought the heads of Oreb and Zeb to Gideon on the other side, Jordan. So this is now going to create an interesting dynamic uh, when we cover chapter 8, God willing, next week. So this is the story of uh, the, the career of Gideon. And uh, we're going to see now the legacy of this victory. So this is uh, Judges chapter uh, 6 and 7. I think it was a very fascinating read. Together next week, and we will uh, continue this uh, story of the career of Gideon. Uh, in the meantime, we'll have Sabbath services on uh, Sabbath at 2.30 p.m. Eastern, uh, 1.30 Central. And then the same time on Pentecost, we'll have services again, the 1.30 Central, 2.30 uh, Eastern Sign. So, you know, thanks so much for joining us this evening. And uh, hopefully you're able to join us in fellowship with us on the Sabbath and on the high day of Pentecost. What a great God we serve. Uh, he is a God of his word. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times that which is not yet done, saying, my plans, my word shall stand. Let's be like Abraham. And as long as God gives us his word, 
we'll stand on those promises. What a great God we serve. Jesus is Lord. Thanks for joining. God bless.